So now you can compete as a pro and you're considered a professional athlete, which is really cool. You know, it gives you some perks. Like when you go to compete as a pro, they treat you a whole lot differently as when you're an amateur. Um, sometimes you can get into gyms for free, you know, having that, that pro card. Also, it's a credential, to be quite honest, because you've kind of been there, done that. Welcome to the Bar Ben Podcast, where we talk to the smartest coaches, athletes, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to IFBB Pro bikini competitor, Claire Morrow. What does it mean to be a bodybuilding pro, and what happens when you find that sport, or fitness in general, a little later in life, or at least a little later than a lot of folks assume pros might? Claire and I talk a lot about that, about her journey her practice as a wellness coach, why she doesn't train clients or consult with clients for competition prep. I will say a lot of topics in this conversation border on medical. We are not a medical resource. And I just want to remind folks that if you're making any significant changes to your health and wellness journey, it's best to consult with a qualified medical professional before doing so. Everyone is different. Every situation is different. Seek out that professional guidance. With that said, let's get on with the show. Claire, thanks for joining us today. We've had a streak of really interesting folks on the Barbin podcast, but we haven't had anyone from the world of bodybuilding in a little while, which is really strange because it's such a big thing we cover. So I feel like we're getting we're getting back on track here with you on the podcast. So how are you doing today? How's training going? How's life? All good. Thank you for having me today, first off. All good. I'm off season, full on trying to put some muscle on. You know how it goes. It's a uh, on season, off season, and you know, train, get your rear in gear, and you know, try to try to build more muscle and uh, all that good stuff. So everything's going good. Great. I want to ask a little bit about your background in a second, but I'm curious: in season versus off season, on season versus off season. It depends on the sport. Everyone has like a slightly different term for it. How many times a year are you generally competing or getting stage ready these days? And how long are each of those? Like, how is your year broken up, basically? Yeah. So I, I take a long off season because my body, when it comes to cutting, you know, to get ready for a show, it does not like to hang on to muscle easily. So I usually lose a little bit of muscle by the time I get on the stage. Most of it's due. It's normal. So if you have any competitors out there, just be aware of that. It's normal. Don't freak out. When you lose a little bit of muscle, it's completely normal. So, you know, I compete a couple times a year. I did one last August and last July. I did two in a row. And that's about all I can really do before my body just sacrifices to the gods too many muscle too much muscle <laughs> so and then i just choose to go back into off season and you know it's not healthy to stay super shredded all year round i think that's a big big misconception that a lot of people see when they look at bodybuilders are like oh they're so shredded but it's not a goal if you if you are not competing i don't recommend trying to get that shredded it's not healthy women and men need more body fat on them for our bodies to function properly and all of that so I welcome off season. I like having more curves and, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> I, I also, it's interesting to me that people look at, it's important to know that bodybuilding is a sport. It's its own thing, but it is not peak human performance, right? It is an aesthetic sport. But if you don't know much, for people who aren't very familiar with strength sports lifting, they look at bodybuilders on stage at their leanest, at their most stage ready. And they might go like, wow, those people look you know, really strong or really capable. And in fact, those people are probably at their least, at their weakest 
and least capable when they're in that sort of shape. I have never seen anyone more tired and more weaker relative to their body mass than a yes. bodybuilder walking off stage after posing. It's so true. Yes, because you're so depleted, um, especially the men. The men's bodybuilding division is rough. I mean, you're so depleted. You've got to pump up backstage and all that stuff. And, you know, you're carving up, getting into the show and trying to get your muscles to fill out with glycogen. And, you know, it's such a process. Um, I always recommend to people to make sure you have a good coach on hand. I don't do contest prep myself. I only do lifestyle. But I recommend that you have a good coach in place to help you with all of that because it is it does. It takes your energy because you just get so low calories at the end. And um, you've done so much cardio and, you know, your body's completely just given up almost all the fat, it seems like, you know, especially those bodybuilders in the bikini division. We don't get quite as lean as, you know, of course, the bodybuilders do because that's not required in our division, but we still get pretty depleted. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today, how you got to be someone who has a lot of experience on stage, regularly competes, works with clients more on the lifestyle side, not necessarily competition prep. I like how you clarify that. I appreciate that. Tell us a little yeah. bit about your fitness journey, kind of when it started, because I know it's been something that's been a huge part of your life for quite a long time. Absolutely. So I'm 51 years old right now, and I started at age 42. My journey started, like I have on the cover of my book here, I was 38 here at my fluffiest. Just, just, um, just so folks know, she's holding up a book. Yeah. They won't, they won't see this podcast. It's kind of like a b before her bodybuilding career and then like during. Right. So if anybody goes and looks for the cover of my book, you'll see my before and after. Well, when I, in my before, I was 38 years old and, you know, a bit fluffy and not really the healthiest of my life. Um, I was having hormonal imbalances I was unaware of. I was drinking more than I should, not alcoholic drinking, but, you know, like most people do, two, two plus times a week or so, um, not realizing alcohol actually stops fat loss for 24 to 36 hours. Gee, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have drank so much back then. And then the other thing I was doing is starving myself during the week and binge eating on the weekend. So it led me to a place where I wasn't happy and wasn't healthy. And then when I was in my 40s, I got the phone call that oh, none of us want to get. Uh, your mom got diagnosed with stage four cancer. You better get yourself checked out. And then within a month of that, my husband's brother died of a heart attack. So we had to kind of come to Jesus moment. And I think everybody can relate to that in the sense that when that tragedy happens in our lives, you take a whole hard look at yourself and you're like, okay, it's time to do something. So my husband and I started this journey. It, he was 60 and I was 42 when we really got serious about it. I had lost some weight prior to getting into bodybuilding, but I was skinny fat and I hated it. I had no rear ends. I had no shape to my body. I looked like boobs on a stick, right? Tits on a stick is what I look like. So I was tits on sticks. So I was ready to do something and reshape my body. So that led us to the gym. That led us to getting fit. And, um, you know, I didn't think it was possible at 42. I really didn't. Um, until I started meeting some girls in the gym and said, Hey, I'm, you know, 40 or I'm 45 or, and I was just amazed that you could do it. And they're like, Oh, absolutely. You can. So I went to that path and they sent me in the direction of a good bodybuilding coach. And one thing led to another, we fell in love with it and, uh, started lifting and, uh, it just became our lifestyle. I absolutely loved it. And that led to competing, uh, later on. I, I love how you bring that up. It's not something that you have to find in your late teens or early 20s. It certainly isn't. And in fact, you do see a lot of people succeeding in bodybuilding into their 40s, 50s, even beyond. Yeah. We cover a lot of strength sports at Barbend. You know, as a weightlifter, 
when you're really leveraging that fast twitch muscle fiber, as you get older, you're going to lose some of that, right? You get a little, you just get a little slower and you can't move under or around a barbell or accelerate in quite the same way as you get older. But you do see a lot of folks really reach their peak in aesthetic sports much later in life. And I think it's something that not a lot of people know. It's like you hit 40 or so or 45 or 50 or or later. It's not like the ship has sailed, right? you're very capable of of body recomposition to a, a pretty significant degree. I'm curious how long it took to go from, hey, we have this come to Jesus moment. We want to prioritize health to like, hey, I want to I want to compete. Like I want to take this really seriously and do this at the competitive highest level possible. Like how long did that mindset transition take? Well, I actually made some mistakes along the way. I could have gotten there quicker, but I was gung-ho and I was overtraining, not eating enough, doing some of the mistakes that you would make, right? Even though I had a coach, I still, you know, had it in my head because I'm stubborn that I knew better <laughs> and I was wrong. <laughs> Every, it, I'd say about 90% of the people listening to this podcast who have been coached in any strength sport would agree with that, especially when it's like, oh, you, you shouldn't max out today. Take a recovery day. And then suddenly you're yeah. like, okay, new PR, let's go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing, you know, it took me a long time to realize that muscles are torn up in the gym, fed in the kitchen and built in bed. Um, and that's a hundred percent true, but yeah, anybody could do this at any age. It doesn't matter, but you, you know, what you're pointing about, we're, we're a little bit slower as we get older. Absolutely. So what happens is as we get older, we lose 8% of our muscle every decade over the age of 40 until we get to 70 and then it's 15%, which makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of older people walking around real hunched over. And that is from sarcopenia, losing the muscle. Now the mom and dad and granddads of you and I, right. They didn't have the technology or the know-how that we do now. It's fixable. You don't have to suffer. Muscle is the glue that keeps your body together, in my opinion. You don't have to fall down a Walmart and not be able to get back up again, right? There's a few things you just need to do. Lift weights four to five times per week, eat enough protein, and hormone balance when you're over 40. That's huge. Let's talk about protein requirements. I had Dr. Jim Stepani on the podcast a few months ago. Really, really fantastic uh, person in the industry I look up to. He's a researcher. He's in his 50s. He's very, very big on emphasizing that as you age, sometimes your protein requirements actually increase. So I'm curious, when you're working with clients on, on lifestyle, what are some rules of thumb you might use for protein intake, encouraging people to get adequate protein? Absolutely. So our protein synthesis does slow down a little bit as we age. Case in point, we just can't eat the same things we could when we were 20 and 30 years old and get away with it, right? I mean, especially when you're a woman at perimenopause to menopause, 40s to 50s, it really does affect you. You start bloating and all of these things. So you need to make sure you're getting enough protein, taking digestive enzymes to help you with all of that. And also your natural testosterone. And yes, ladies, we have natural testosterone in our systems, just like men do. And you need to make sure you replace it because if it goes to zero, there goes your energy, there goes your muscle and there goes your libido. Um, so get your hormones checked. And I'm going off on a tangent here with a wellness or HRT doctor. GPs and OBGYNs do not specialize. I have a good one actually that does telemedicine. My doctor is amazing. If you need their information, just contact me on my social media. I'm happy to help, but you've got to make sure that that's in place. Um, But protein, you need one gram of protein per pound of body weight or goal weight, in my opinion. If you are over over 200 pounds, and I say that really lovingly, kind of been there, um, but if you're overweight, go for your goal weight and grams of protein. That's where you need to be. That's a a pretty... 
that's a question that I think is often the first follow-up. It's like, okay, pounds, grams per pound of body weight, is that the body weight I'm at? Or if I can lose a significant amount of body fat, the body fat I'm targeting. So it's always nice to get people's thoughts on that. And I, and I, I do appreciate that. Let's talk about eating cadence because I think one thing as folks assess their protein intake and if they're coming in quite a, quite a bit lower than they should – you know, the question becomes like, well, do I need to, you know, do I need to split that up into eight little meals over the course of the day? Like, what are some of the uh, uh, techniques or eating cadences that you like to suggest or advise people on when it comes to when it comes to, you know, lifestyle, not necessarily competition prep? That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, honestly, whatever works for the person, I would recommend at least three meals a day mm-hmm. and just making sure you get adequate protein in each one. For me personally, I like to eat five meals a day spread out throughout the day. I usually eat mine every two and a half to three hours, really emphasizing my carbs before I lift and after I lift. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do eat quite a bit of carbs. Um, you do Your body doesn't necessarily need carbs, but it will help you with brain function, energy, and muscle recovery and strength too. So ladies, don't skip your carbs. And a lot of ladies are under eating. So if you under eat for a long period of time, it damages your metabolism. And then you have to be willing to put on a little bit of weight to get your metabolism back up and then try to lose more. And that's hard for a lot of people to understand. But we do suffer metabolic damage when we get too low on calories for a long period of time. So, yeah, you got to make sure you're eating enough, especially the protein. A lot of women are not eating enough protein. And that's the problem I run into the most. Let's talk a little bit about. I know I, I keep getting ahead of myself here, right? Because you're saying all these things I want to dive in on more, but I still want to talk a little bit about your journey to becoming an IFBB pro, right? Which is no small feat. And I think people underestimate the amount of time it takes because it's not like you get, it's not like you can compete every month until you get that competition right. prep in any bodybuilding discipline takes months and you're really projecting years into the future sometimes yes. around your life and your goals. So let's talk about the buildup to your pro card. How many competitions did it take? What was that process like? Give us a little insight there. Yeah. So I, my first year of competing, I was in my, it was late. I was 42, but it was in my later part of 42. Um, got my pro card at 45. So I probably did, oh gosh, 12 or 13 shows before I got there. Oh wow. And it was just one of those things that happened that wasn't supposed to happen. I don't know. I pulled for three days after I got my pro card because it is hard to do. And the girls in my class were amazing. Um, there was about 20 of them and they just looked phenomenal. Um, I got it, at, like I said, age 45 and that was in 2017. So I have competed as a pro many times. It's been an honor to be on stage with some of the big greats. And it's amazing to stand next to them. Even in my older years, you know, I don't care. I'll stand next to anybody and be their grandma. I don't care. <laughs> I'm curious. I think when we say, I mean, bodybuilding works differently than a lot of sports. Uh, you know, strongman is also a sport that a lot of listeners of this podcast will be familiar with, where there are pro cards. Tell us a little, but like, it's not something that you, it's not something you really run across in like team sports necessarily. It's not that it doesn't exist in the sport of weightlifting or really powerlifting or anything like that. It exists in like bodybuilding. It exists like kind of in a certain, in a similar system in golf, but tell us about what the pro card means and what it enables you to do. So now you can compete as a pro and you're considered a professional IFBB professional athlete, which is really cool. You know, it gives you some perks. Like when you go to compete as a pro, they treat you a whole lot differently as when you're an amateur. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you can get into gyms for free, you know, having that, that pro card. 
Also, it's uh, a credential, to be quite honest, because you've kind of been there, done that. So if you want to do online coaching, as long as you've got enough experience and can you know, know what you're doing, <laughs> you know, you can do something like that. I've been doing online coaching for a while, but I only do lifestyle. I don't like to do contest prep because for me, it's just way too in the weeds. You know, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a credential. It's kind of like a, it's a mark of your experience, right? Um, it's saying that you've reached, you've reached this very high level, right? And so, you're at least capable of of doing that, which is really under, I'm I'm underselling it when I say it like that. So it's a good thing I don't do like the marketing collateral for uh, for that. Uh, let's talk about some of the differences competing as an amateur versus as a professional, because you mentioned it's a little bit different. You get treated a little differently. I, I, I want to tease some of those out. Yeah, absolutely. So when you the first time I competed, I was amazed. Like they were just like welcome, and you get this, you know, all these this is as a profe- professional. You mean? Yeah, professionally. And, you know, they just, they just treat you at like a, like a God, like a queen. You're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And even my husband would get, you know, in for free with a backstage pass. And, you know, when you're an amateur, you like pretty much just stand in line and you're, you know, with as a bikini, you're usually the last division to go. So you're like the last man on the totem pole to get up on stage. And it is a long wait usually. So when you're a pro, you get priority. So when you are in pro, there's not always just pro shows. Sometimes the pros are in with the amateurs just in the middle of the day. But you always know what time you're going on stage. And that's a real big perk when you're a pro. When you're an amateur, you have no clue what time you're going to hit stage. It might be between 11 and 3. We don't know. It depends on how many people show up. It depends on how quick the judging is done. You know, it's just, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> and you're just, you're just standing back there in your bikini trying to, like, stay warm, trying not to get the spray tan on every potential surface and all of your yeah. stuff. Uh, a little bit of an awkward holding, like waiting room scenario there, I guess. It is. It's a real pain. I can remember one show. I didn't go on stage until 11 o'clock at night at, gosh, it was a Houston show that I did as an amateur. And it was horrible, horrible because there were so many competitors that, um, yeah, and I didn't do well at that show because I was just over it by the time I got on stage. Yeah, you can't even like go out and get dinner and a cheat meal after that. All the restaurants are closed. No. And that's the best part. When you get off stage, you're like ready for some donuts and pizza and you know something of course that's gonna blow you you're gonna feel like a bloated bag of ass afterwards <laughs> and that's one thing they don't tell you about when you compete is when you go back to eating some some regular foods you want to stay on plan and reverse diet when you can otherwise your body's just going it goes into storage mode big time and you bloat you bloat because you've been eating such small amounts more than normal going into that competition that your body just absorbs everything you start eating. So you bloat. So you look like a, a pregnant person with abs on it. It's weird. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that makes sense. The body, you've been in starvation mode and the body's like, oh, there's a, a caloric surplus now. I, I have to store that. That's that's a survival mechanism. That's kind of what keeps our species alive or at least what did way, way back when. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because your body is like a sponge. It's just like, give me all the food. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about misconceptions folks might have with the bodybuilding lifestyle, competition prep, any, anything that, that like you find yourself having to correct folks on. I know you're not doing competition or competition prep coaching. I know it's not your thing, but you know, anything you have to like correct folks on and say like, oh, actually it's, it's not like that or you know, just those common misconceptions. Yeah, they think that we're completely depleted of water. Really, really, you know, like the the whole week of the show or just, they just hear these weird things. It's like, now a lot of us just, we don't drink the day of the show. We don't mm. drink a lot of water. We limit the water to sips of water, but going up into the show, even the day before we're eating, we're drinking, you know, lots of water, or they think that we eat weeds and berries to look like 
I'm like, no, we're still getting all our protein, you know, or they think that we're doing endless hours of cardio. No, it's actually more about the diet. It's more about there's Mm -hmm. no cheating. There's no alcohol and, you know, anything extra. Everything is dialed in completely. Here's why. When you have a coach watching you and checking in with you week to week, they need to know what's going in your mouth and they need to know what's going out physically. Um, How many steps a day you're taking what you're eating exactly so that they can make good decisions for you to help you get to the best point that you can be when you compete. And it's really important. So the cheats go to the wayside, unless you need a refill, we don't call it a cheat, a refeed meal. You generally don't get one, especially when you're a pro because your body is so dialed in and Mm. used to this stuff that, you know, a lot of times if you do have a cheat, sometimes you'll go backwards and we don't want that. So, you know, it just depends on how your body is coming in. But um, if you're going to compete, I highly recommend you find a good coach. (laughs) because <laughs> it is, there is a lot more to it than you think. Some people think they can do it on their own. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I hear a lot about the tan. Why do you guys have to be so orange? I'm like, well, it's required. We have to have a tan because it's um, under those bright lights. Then it, it shows the muscularity and all your hard work. It shows it much more clearly when you're on stage. That that makes a lot of sense. And, and I really like how you bring up like, hey, find help. If you're entering anything, it's like we, you know, I always say in our content and we've talked about a few things that, you know, border on medical on this podcast. It's like, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm hosting a podcast. If folks have questions, like everybody's a little bit different. Every situation is different. Find a qualified professional to help you in your health and wellness journey. Find qualified professionals. There are lots of resources out there more than there ever have been. For folks who want to unlock that next level of performance, whether it's competing or not, they can find coaches, they can find wellness professionals, medical professionals, they can kind of talk to through their concerns with. So that help is out there. It's often not as expensive as people think it is. Right. You know, you know like you, you, you can ask those questions of people who have a lot of experience. You don't have to just like throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks with your own body necessarily. Exactly. Exactly right. Because let them do the thinking for you. They've got, you know, most of the coaches, if you have a good one, by the way, my coach is amazing. If you need her, she's amazing. DM me on Instagram or TikTok. I'm happy or actually Instagram. I'm happy to help. She's phenomenal. She really dialed me in well for this last show. And um, she's a wellness IFBB pro herself. So she's got a booty for days and looks incredible. And she's probably the best coach I've ever had. So um, yeah, she's phenomenal. So yeah, gotta find a good coach for sure. Okay, let's talk any other myths, myths or misconceptions. Jeez, that's a hard one to say into a microphone. I'll, just, I'll say misconceptions. That's easier to pronounce. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I pretty much hit all of them that I can think of. Just the tan and then, you know, people just think you do endless hours of cardio, which, you know, some maybe do, but I don't. I, I make sure you got all my steps in a day. Um, if you do too much cardio and you're on a low-calorie deficit, you're going to lose muscle quickly. So you've got to be careful you don't do too much. You're going to tear up your body. It's it's really competition prep is really about holding on to muscle. It's not about building muscle. Muscles look bigger because there's less fat. You're not you're not going to put on pounds of muscle during like an actual focus prep. It's just physiologically it's not really how it works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just got to, you know, yeah, no, you're right. 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, let's talk a little bit about your actual training split. Let's talk about off season when you're building muscle, you know, there's, there's the old kind of definitions of bro splits. There's, you know, a body part every day. What, what is an off season week of training look like for you? How's that split up? You know, I always tell people your body doesn't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> it really doesn't listen to your body. Um, I train shoulders once a week. Um, I train my arms once a week. 
I rarely do abs because the more weighted ab work you do when you already lift weights, it's just going to make you look like SpongeBob. You're going to get thicker and thicker and thicker. So I do vacuums. I might do some body weight stuff, but I rarely do abs. I work my glutes generally every six days. Now I might do an upper glute kind of little banded thing halfway through the week. And then, you know, every five to six days, I'll do like a full on leg day the where I hit my glutes as well. So you know, there's this big thing out there. You should train your glutes three times a week. Yeah. If you're 20, <laughs> when you get to 51 or in your forties, you don't recover as well. Now, maybe you can't forties, but when you get up late forties to fifties, it's harder. So I've got to give myself and my body enough time to heal up. Again, muscle is built in bed. It's uh, torn up in the gym and fed in the kitchen. So if, if you don't give it time to grow, you're going to shrink it. Think of a marathon runner. They're built long, lean and stringy, right? Which is fine if that's what you want to look like. But if you're going to shape your body and you're trying to build muscle, you've got to make sure that you are resting enough for it to build. Because if you keep pounding away and pounding away at that muscle, it's going to shrink and become stringy from overstressing the muscle. And that's, you mentioned earlier, one issue you ran into early in your fitness journey was overtraining right? Yes. Trying to pack too much into a week and bodies change over time. Some people recover more quickly than others. You, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, your body is used to it. You're, you're more dialed in as you get further in your journey. But I think it's also you're more conscious of how your individual response times vary and how your individual responses vary to different stimuli, right? Absolutely. And, you know, your body's not always going to respond exactly the same way as it did the last time. The first contest prep is always going to be the easiest because your body's like, oh, okay, we're losing weight. Great. We're losing fat. Great. Um, the next time it's like, wait, we're not doing that again, are we? <laughs> you know, it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit. Our bodies, our bodies are so smart. They are machines that are built for survival and you have to outsmart the day. If I could just talk to my body sometimes, I'd be like, okay, that thing that I just ate, do not store that. I mean, <laughs> for real, if we could just talk to our bodies, right? <laughs> this whole thing would be a lot easier. That's the, that's that's the that's the, the excerpt from this podcast for sure. Uh, okay, well, where is the best place or the best places for people to follow along uh, with with you or to get in touch? Absolutely. So I do free tips every day um, for anybody who's willing to listen on Instagram, TikTok. I just hit a million followers on TikTok. Um, Congratulations. After- that's that's a, that's a number. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's been pretty crazy. I've been on there two and a half years now, I think. But it's Claire Morrow, spelled C-L-A-R-E. My mom had to be difficult. Do not put an I in my name. C-L-A-R-E, Morrow, M-O-R-R-O-W, underscore, I-F-B-B prep. So that's basically TikTok and Instagram. Um, if you need my wellness specialist, message me on Instagram or any questions you have, I'm happy to answer. I'm on Facebook, Claire Morrow. I'm also on um, YouTube. My YouTube is starting to go a little bit more now too. And it's Claire Morrow, IFBB Pro. And I just came out with a new book called Fluffy to Fit. Um, if anybody's interested in that, it'll tell you where your macros and calories need to be. It's got full workouts in there and how to do them with illustrations. Also, what to do when you hit a plateau, how to get over gym shyness. So many good chapters. Don't take my word for it. Go to Amazon and read the reviews. It's on Amazon, uh, $9 on Kindle and 26 or $7 on Amazon hard copy. So I also have it on as a uh, digital download too, which will be on my website soon too. So if anybody needs it, it's clairemorrow.com. Claire, thank you so much. You're making my job easy. Appreciate that. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing what's next for you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.